Matthew chapter 26, uh, we begin reading here at verse 17. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will, you, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as is written of him. But woe to, the, to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, this is the reading of God's word. Uh, let's pray, asking the Lord to be with us now. Let's pray. Our God, we come to you now in prayer, asking for your illumination of our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would teach us, uh, you would help us with understanding. And so be our guide and be our teacher and be the one, O oh Lord, to instruct us. Encourage us, we would ask. Encourage us, we pray, Lord. Uh, oh, how we need uh, strength and wisdom and help and the mercies of Christ as we are now in the word of God. Uh, instruct us as we go. We lift our hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, whenever you preach on the Lord's Supper, whenever you open the Bible in a Bible study and you're in that place about the Lord's Supper, it's almost like having a toothpick in your mouth, all right? <laughs> that is to say, there's plenty to chew on and sometimes things get caught up right there and you need a little <laughs> toothpick to keep to unwedge something there as we, we find ourselves whenever we eat, uh, whenever we eat uh, beef, meat, some kind. But even more so, beyond just the matter that there's a lot that goes into a passage like this uh, regarding the Lord's Supper, even more so, this passage in its context, I want to begin by suggesting to you, is a passage that really is driving home hope to us. It's driving home hope. I want us to see that. You know, we all need God's hope. Uh, busy mothers in our midst, busy mothers. She sometimes will wonder, how can I have the strength to hold up and to hold on with all my responsibilities? Many of us know the multitude of pressures that we feel in the workplace. Uh, we know a multitude of pressures that things that happen Monday through Saturday in our places of jobs and service. 
some of us know the matter of, you know, aging and, and getting older and the concerns that our bodies are taking on more of the wear and tear of life. And that's to say, we need hope in the midst of our aging years. Our families face stresses and strains of all kinds, finances, family relationships, things about the future, what's around the corner, what's ahead of us. We need hope. We need hope in Jesus Christ. And hope is having the fact, that security, that knowledge, that our God has all things in control. You see, Jesus is going to tell us that his time is at hand. We've read that in this passage. And that is a shorthand way of speaking that the crescendo of his pilgrimage of being a servant of God and the very savior of men, that crescendo is about to reach, right, that, that, that apex of that, of that uh, cacophony of noise all to be, is it, is it a time of crisis? Oh, no, God has lost control. He's going to the cross. Has man stepped in to take over? Has God lost control? Or in the midst of the cacophony or the apex of that noise, of that triumph, is it a time of blessing? It is. He says to us, my time is at hand. And just in a few chapters, sorry, just a few paragraphs, he will indeed uh, be turned over to the religious authorities and public officials. We need hope. This is a passage reminding us our God's in control. It's like the old spiritual, the old song. He's got the whole world, what, in his, remember, in his hands. He's got the whole wide world in his hands. That old spiritual is speaking of hope. He has all things in his hands. Uh, Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 5, hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not disappoint is one way you could translate that. Hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us while we were still weak at the right time. God sent his son and his son died for the ungodly. Hope. It's God's plan of working all things. And here we have the highlight of Jesus continuing his ministry, his ministry here on earth, and, and that, that, that crossroads, that intersection that we just were to see is that he gives focus of his coming death. And it's in that light he then ministers to his disciples the Lord's Supper. We're not going to focus in in this passage about the discussion of the betrayal. Who is it, Lord? Is it I? Uh, we're not going to be looking so much at that, but just bear that in mind that that is all to say that that conversation is right here in this passage. Uh, Jesus, all the while, is carrying out his Father's will, and it's in this time of this memorial feasting, the reflections on the Passover, that he then institutes this meal. Keep in mind, though, we're driving home biblical hope in the midst of this time that seems to be so dark. Three lessons I would like us to look at this morning in the passage is, first of all, this Passover background. As we're thinking about the Lord's Supper, we'll look at this Passover background. We'll next look at the institution of the meal itself. It's instituted. It's, it's established at this point. We'll look at the institution of what Jesus has to say about this Lord's, about his Lord's Supper. And then finally, um, some areas of teaching regarding 
the provision for our growth, provision for our growth in terms of the table of the Lord or the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. So lessons about hope, and it's with this in mind that he institutes this meal, but first this background, this background of the Passover. Look at verse 17 now. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So this background, this background about the Passover with respect to the Lord's Supper. Jesus is directing the plans. He's, he's, he's seeing these things unfold here before him and with the disciples. And it's about that security that he's actually speaking of. He's speaking of security. I have this, in, I have this well in hand. You're to go to such and such a person and such and such a city, and there you will meet up with this man. Uh, my hand uh, has this in complete control, and we're to prepare for the Passover. The Passover comes from the book of Exodus. Let's get into some of the details now. It comes from the book of Exodus, and that's that time where the sons of Jacob, remember this, uh, out of the book of Genesis, going into the second book in the Bible, uh, to the book of Exodus. There are the sons of Jacob. They're now numerous, a vast number uh, of those who are now living in Egypt. They've gone down to Egypt because there was a famine in the land in Canaan. And they've gone to the south now to Egypt. And there Joseph, one of the sons, has provided for his own family. And of course, there in Egypt, they multiply. And they're there approximately 400 years, the Bible tells us, 430 years, that the sons of Jacob and this great throng of the Israelites are there in Egypt, and they're now enslaved. That's the storyline of the book of Exodus. They've been enslaved there uh, under the taskmasters of Pharaoh and his servants, and they're under this tyrant and in that bondage, that's what the Bible tells us. If you think about the book of Exodus, those very early chapters, chapters 2, 3, and 4, are about the Lord raising up Moses, how Moses would be a servant there throughout the storyline of the book of Exodus. You move on then in the chapters 5, 6, and 7 on down to chapter 13, you have a series of scenes. And the series of scenes here are these different plagues that God is going to use through Moses, these different trials and hardships and plagues that come to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that's what you have here in this story of Exodus. And we come up to these chapters in Exodus of chapter 12 and 13 about the Passover, this last of the 10 plagues. Do you know that those plagues are called signs? Just like a sign that we have here in front, a sign. This is a banner, of course, but a sign. And those plagues are called signs. There are, seven, there are 79 times, 79 times in the Bible where that word is used, sign. 25 of them are in the book of Exodus. And so there is a plethora, just a, a load of this expression of this place where God is showing a sign. And that indeed is what is going on. 
Why are these lessons happening? Why are these 10 plagues, these 10 signs happening? These signs point beyond themselves. In John's gospel, one of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in John's gospel, John is sometimes called the gospel of the signs because there are signs in the gospel, whether it's healing a man, whether it's turning water into wine, another sign, or the raising of Lazarus, another sign. Uh, these signs are indeed pointing to things beyond themselves. These signs point to the power of God, to the lordship of God. And this is what is happening here in the book of Exodus. Moses, Pharaoh, the Egyptians them, them, themselves, Israel, the people around in Jesus' day, thinking about the Gospel of John now and the signs. There's a question that would be raised through seeing these signs, seeing these plagues. What is it? What is it that God wants me to see in this power, in this show of deliverance? Well, God answers that question in the book of Exodus. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand. God is making himself known. God is showing his power. God is showing his, his mighty arm to be that arm outstretched to bring deliverance. Passover is one of the signs. Pharaoh is thinking, Pharaoh's thinking that his arm is the arm for deliverance, but no, no. The Israelites are learning from Moses, our God, the Lord. He overrules the gods of Egypt. He's the one bringing hope to his own children. We'll learn these verses in the book of Exodus. I will free you, the Lord says. I will redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. That's all in Exodus chapter 6. But now let's get a few more specifics. In Exodus chapter 12, you have the institution of the Passover meal, this memorial that would be remembered for generations, generation after generation to come. In chapter 12, we have these words, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or you may take it from the goats. Again, these are instructions about the memorial feast. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel, Israel shall kill it at the twilight. So now let's explain a few of these words. The Passover is, is, is dominantly a, a remembrance in sacrifice. The Passover is a memorial about sacrifice. You have it here, Exodus 12, verse 5. There's a sacrificial lamb. And it gets described, it must be young. It must be without defect. It's the spotless one. It's the undefiled lamb. And then secondly, it's to be sacrificed at the twilight, the in-between hours. And that's about the time of the evening sacrifice, when the evening sacrifice would be instituted in the tabernacle, that large tent where God would meet with his people for worship. It's the in-between hours of the evening sacrifice. Let's get a few more words now from the book of Exodus. Take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts. And then they shall eat it, the flesh, on that night. It's roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with the bitter, bitter herbs. Eat this meal with your belt on your waist and your sandals on your feet. And you have that staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. It's almost like they're to eat this meal 
almost like between the table and having a, a, a hand on the doorknob of the, of the home, right? <laughs> They're to eat it in haste because there's a deliverance to come. There's a rescue to happen. It's the power of that dominant theme that God is going to provide a way of escape for them. But you have these lessons once again. First of all, it's a blood sign. God will see this sign. And it's blood that is then to be sprinkled, the, the, the sop of the blood to be sprinkled and, and just pasted along, plastered along the doorpost of the frames of their home here. And there would be then certain homes where that would happen, of these Israelites who would, who would celebrate this feast together. Certain homes that would have that blood. And, when that, and where that blood is sprinkled, that household would be spared. Why? Because God had commissioned the angel of death, right? The angel of death who would come on that Passover night. And by that presence of God, of his messenger, to carry out that judgment, where the household had the blood, they would be spared. And of course, the household that would not have that blood, they would be judged with death. Particularly, we're told in the Bible, it'd be the firstborn of that household that would be judged in death. So it's a blood sign as well. The house is not covered with sacrificial blood. They would experience God's judgment. But then there's more. This blood sign, where the blood would be sprinkled, would also be a sacrifice that would be eaten. It would also be a provision for their own sustenance and meal. They were to eat it in haste. Why eat it in haste? Because it would be their sustenance at that point for their journey. It would sustain them for their pilgrimage to be led out through the Red Sea and then into the desert wilderness there at Sinai. Now, what's so interesting about this, not only is it a sign for deliverance, but a meal also to be eaten. Roast what is left. Eat all of it. Don't save any for the next day. It's not the common meal that you would have the next day for your sustenance when you're out there on the journey. No, no. You eat all of it. It is to be consumed. It is to be a meal for you. The Bible teaches us that whenever Israel also is to eat a portion of that meal, that's to say a portion of it is to be for the meal, that's the sign that it's associated with peace. This is also a peace offering. It is not only a sign for deliverance to be spared, but it's a meal offering to God that he indeed invites them now to partake of with him. It's been consumed for him through the fire of that, that aroma, of that smoke that will arise off the altar. He himself is receiving that, 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 uh, that, that blood sacrifice, but also the people were to have it at their table to eat. And that's a signal that this is also a peace offering. Whenever Israel celebrates with eating a portion of the offering, that goes along with peace. And you see what God is doing? He's using the sacrifice. He's confirming to the Israelites, that sacrifice is what I command, and I accept it. I accept it from your hands. But now I share it with you. We have a bond of peace. I accept it, and now you accept it. It's peace. 
between us. And again, I close this part by saying it's a memorial for observance throughout all the generations. Do you see the hope that the Israelites would have? Not only is God giving them the participation in the blood sign to have the blood cover over their household. Not only is their deliverance hope from tyranny, hope from enslavement, hope from injustice, hope, for that, hope from that bondage that they've known under the tyrant of Pharaoh. Not only is their deliverance, but as they eat of the meal, there's now a restoration to be with God and to commune with him and to have that restoration of peace with him. Friends here at Good Shepherd Church, we speak often that God not only saves us from our sin and saves us from Satan's tyranny and power, saves us from the righteous wrath of God due to our sin. Not only is there deliverance from, but there's also that welcome and restoration to in that relationship that we have with our God to now have peace with him. This is hope, hope in Christ. And now you see why on this occasion of the Passover, Jesus institutes this meal. Look next at these words at the institution. As they were eating, verse 26, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus now turns from the Passover meal and the memorial, especially this dominant theme of sacrifice, blood sacrifice and peace that God brings. He now brings a focus to what he himself is about to do. He is about to take upon himself the, the specific steps, steps to go to Calvary's cross to be that sacrificial lamb, the blood sign, the blood sign for atonement to cover over our sins. And that blood sign that brings release where that we're now restored unto our God to have peace and fellowship with our Lord and Savior. Now, a few words for teaching here on this matter of this institution. Now, I, I confess to you, brothers and sisters, this is the first time I am preaching this passage and preaching this sermon. It's all new to me. And I sat down yesterday afternoon thinking to myself, Mark, you're just now getting this? And, and I say to myself, yes, Mark, I'm just now getting this. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean that. I, I know I say it tongue-in-cheek like that, but you know me and my personality that I want to be a learner right along with you about these things. So a few observations about, sometimes you'll hear me say, or another, another minister say, say something about, now the words of institution, now the words of institution regarding the Lord's table. So when we, when we speak about this concept of the institution of the Lord's Supper, or the words of institution of the Lord's Supper, what are we doing here? We're giving focus to the words of Jesus and his teaching. Jesus is explaining to us what he is doing by establishing or setting up this meal, by giving the church 
this observance, this memorial observance. We're going to Jesus and his teaching. Well, if you look at this passage now, if you look at these verses, 26, 27, and 28, uh, Jesus is going to teach about and do four things. And then he's going to turn to his disciples and speak about or have them do two things. <laughs> four and two. What are the four things he teaches about or what, he, what will he do here? The Bible simply tells us right here. Jesus took bread. Number two, Jesus blessed the bread, or he gave thanks. Number three, he next, he broke the bread. And then finally, he will give it to his disciples. He took bread, gives thanks, he breaks it, and then he gives. He gives to his disciples. And then the two things for the disciples, he commands them to take the bread, to take it, and then he next tells them, the second item for the disciples, he says to eat it, to eat this. Now, we might say, simple enough, Pastor Mark, simple enough. But the facts now, here's what I want you to grasp. The facts that we have, words of institution, deliberate words where Jesus says something or Jesus will do something here. Words of institution remind us that we need explanation at the table. We need the word of God to explain what the elements are and how we're to use them. And that's why in historic Presbyterian tradition, we always say the word accompanies, the word goes with the sacraments. We have Jesus right here with his words of institution giving us the example of doing just that. He's explaining. He's doing. He's teaching us. The word, his word, goes right along with the matter of the institution, the establishment. The words of institution are words having to do with teaching and obeying. And thereby, these are words for instructing our faith. So when the minister is here behind the table and he takes a few moments to instruct us, he's actually opening the word to us that the word might be for our faith to guide us with instruction and truth. But also at the table, the table is a place for the expression of our faith. That's to say, we're to take and eat. We're to take the cup and drink. It's an expression of our faith, and we call that obedience. We're obeying. We're serving the Lord in our eating and our drinking. So we receive instruction, and instruction leads to an expression of our faith for obedience. The words of institution are also associated with tradition. That is to say, the church started to see the Lord's Supper as a mark. It's included in what faithful churches do. Do you know that we have a church here in America? It is the Salvation Army Church. They do not observe any sacraments. I'm not sure exactly why, but they will preach the word. But that's an example. But they would not observe the sacraments. But here with words of institution, 
We have it even as Paul will tell us. I'm going to read that in just a little bit at the table. But in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I receive, what I've received, I now give to you. That language of tradition. So even after Jesus has died and been buried and raised and gone back to his father, and now we have the story of the book of Acts and the letters of the apostle Paul and Peter and John and so on and so forth, the letter to the Hebrews, the church begins in the New Testament period itself, begins to have an established tradition. Words of institution remind us this is something the church is to practice. The church is to hand down generation by generation by generation. The words of institution also require that we look at all four Gospels. Because Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all have some teaching and aspects about what the Lord's Supper is about. So it's good to compare the four Gospels. We won't do that this morning. But it's good, good to compare the four Gospels to learn even more about what Jesus taught and what he did regarding the Lord's Supper. It's good to look at the example of the church in the book of Acts and to see how they would be practicing that. Like Acts chapter 2, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread, the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper. It's good, of course, to look at the letters of Paul and other letters in the New Testament. Why? Because we're getting more information and more explanation about the words of institution, what our Lord taught and what he did. Now, notice with all these verbs, he said, he took, he broke, he gave, he blessed, he told. In these words of institution, it's the Lord who's directing. It's the Lord who's explaining. It's the Lord who's ministering. Therefore, a priest or a pastor, the officiant, is to be under Christ, to follow the word of the Lord. The Lord is using these elements, the bread and the cup. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who's the one working here, not man. It's not the minister. What are we saying? Jesus is the host. This is his table. All those verbs, he broke, he gave thanks. He commanded, he told. He said, he blessed. He's ministering. We're here to receive of the Lord. Lord, you minister to us at the table. You build our faith. You give us hope. You tell us of the blood sign of your sacrifice. You tell us of the meal that we're to partake with you, of having peace and restoration with you. You minister to us, O oh Lord. One last one on this matter of words of institution. This meal is not a side point to the church. This meal is not a take it or leave it. This is vital to growth in the Christian life. Jesus instituted this for our growth. And that's why we want to close now on this matter of the means of growth for us. With the Passover all in view, yes, there's redemption out of Egypt. But now Jesus has come and saying, you remember my blood, my body, blood poured out for you, body broken for you. What I have done at Calvary's cross that would bring you out of sin and slavery and bondage and worldliness and fear of death 
judgment before God, you deserving wrath. I am the one who delivers you. My salvation is sealed by these elements. My salvation is confirmed by these elements. My salvation is put on visible display by these elements. Come and build your hope and build your faith. In verses 29 and 30, just to finish out here, Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And they sung a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, do, you, do you remember the context now of this? Not only, of course, has there been the memorial feast of the Passover that's being remembered here, the blood sacrifice. Not only is he giving us words of institution that he indeed would be the host at the table to instruct us, but the surrounding little stories around this time of instituting the Lord's Supper, the surrounding little stories you have in the Gospels, the disciples themselves, this is so interesting, guys. The disciples themselves, they're debating about who would be the greatest. Remember that? This their debate about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Lord, let me sit at your right hand. Remember that, James and John? Let me sit at your right hand, Lord. He says, it's not for you to decide that. <laughs> but while they're debating about who's the greatest, while they're focused in on themselves. Or maybe on the other hand, we do have the little story there that we didn't cover. The matter of the betrayal. Lord, is it I? It has been appointed that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. And woe to that one through whom that betrayal comes. Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? They're focused in on themselves regarding about this matter of God's timing and his plan and what God has, has, in, has in mind about Jesus being the Savior. But whether it being debated about being the greatest or self-absorption about what's going to happen here. And how about this one? You read a few more verses down, now it's Peter. Peter, I know, he's gonna, Jesus is going to say, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep are going to scatter. That's coming in these verses. It's a few more verses. When they strike the shepherd, when the shepherd is struck at Calvary's cross, the sheep will scatter. And then Peter says what? Lord, I'll never leave you. Lord, Lord, others may fall away, but I will never fall away. That's coming. With this kind of context, here is our Savior still ministering. He's the all-glorious Lord who's completely abandoning himself to his Father. He's not consumed with who will be at first in the kingdom. He's not consumed here with introspection about who it is to betray. He's trusting himself to his Father. He's not at all consumed with this matter about striking the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And Peter says, Lord, I won't leave you. He knows the weakness of men. He knows the frailty of man. But he comes to have table fellowship with traitors, with those who are weak, those who will deny him. I tell you, Peter, when that cock will crow three times, you will know. You see, Jesus is ministering here, reclining at table with his disciples because he's coming to minister his kingdom grace to those in their weakness and their need. Jesus is always about giving self away, even when the disciples are blind, relying upon themselves, thinking they will know who's the greatest, 
thinking that they will have all strength and never fall into sin, Jesus still ministers. What area of the application of hope do you need this morning? That he has the whole world in his hands. That his control is perfect in its wisdom, in its love, and its, in its timeliness. God is always on time. Jesus said, my time is at hand. And he gives us the table to confirm to us, Lord, this meal is good. Your body and your blood is good for our souls. You are confirming to us that your promises are real and true and will never spoil or fade. And so we partake and we partake in faith and he imparts hope to us. Let's pray. Lord, we need this instruction today. We need this gospel grace today. The lamb has been slain before the foundation of the world. He was the one appointed, even before time, to be the substitute for our sins. And now, O oh Lord, you know in our own weakness, we need these visible signs to confirm to our souls the eternal realities that our God is Lord and Savior and he is good. We pray now your blessing on us, Lord, bringing that application home to our hearts. Bolster our faith and bolster our hope. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.